TJ, wanted to bring you on today, uh, kind of talk through one of the biggest things that I noticed, like with your Instagram and kind of meeting you is you bring a lot of energy into your training sessions. Like I see you training with your, in your group sessions and um, a majority of your clientele looks like, or like female clientele. How do you maintain that energy? Like some seen it, you at like four or five in the morning sometimes and like throughout the day, but um, like, how do you bring that energy into your training sessions and with your clients? Well, one, I, I'm just a naturally hyperactive person. So it's easy to just get up and go. And when you're in the space and the space that you enjoy being there, that also fuels the energy as well. And also the reason why my energy is high most of the time is because I know somebody's always watching, right? So I want to be that example all the time. So people know that it's not impossible, right? No matter what time or what hour it is, as long as you want to go, just, just get up and go. Because I always know that there are always eyes on me. So the fact that there are always eyes on me, I want people to know that I'm going to always keep going. I'm going to always bring 100%. I'm going to always be going 100 miles per hour. So it's the fun. Eyes are always on me. And the fact that I enjoy, you know, doing what I'm doing. Yeah, it looks like, like you're able to, like, walk that tightrope of keeping that, like, fun environment, but also being able to maintain an educational setting that you're clients are like getting the best of both worlds it definitely projects on like through your stories and through your training sessions of like the energy just kind of comes through the screen um with that have you found that or as a pretty big benefit for your clientele coming in that they enjoy that environment and that almost helps promote your training i think i think the fact that, you know, sometimes the people who come early in the morning who are not really typically morning people, they can feed off my energy. So while they might come in like dragging a little bit, as long as I'm able to, you know, manifest and like kind of, you know, radiate that off into them, they kind of pick it, they kind of pick that energy up throughout the, um, throughout the session. Because if I was dragging and, and tired as long, like the way they, the, if my energy matched how they came in, the session would drag. So somebody has to, somebody has to make up for it. Yeah. And I think like that's that's a huge thing for coaches and trainers is you can dictate the energy in the training session that mm -hmm. more often than not, you're not going to get it from the clients or like, you know, with with us, like going to some of the intensives or like going to educational sessions. We want to be there like that's what we're passionate about. That's where we're, the environment that we enjoy. And so we're all in and like we're excited about it but your client isn't you. And so um, I think that's like, it's very, very important um, for trainers and coaches to think about is like the tone that they're projecting and promoting like can be infectious to the client. And so whether that is like an upbeat, happy and like positive space that they're bringing people into, or if it's kind of melancholy or low energy that it's gonna be matched or replicated um, from their clients. Right. And usually, um, like as we discussed on the um, on one of the labs the other day, you know, you're kind of assessing as soon as the client walks through the door. So spending a lot of time and I just think this is good, just business practices in general, spending time and picking up on the nonverbals. You already know the, the direction that your session might go, you know, so as as much as the client's going to want to op open up to you, you kind of, you know, take it, take it where it leads. If they may not want to talk and they may not want to talk. So the one, one thing to kind of balance out is the environment is just 
engaged in a conversation, you know, that will kind of take their mind off of whatever is bothering them. Or if they're doing a particular lift that they may have found difficult or they may have gotten stronger in, that will be the opportunity where I just, I'm just busting through the door. That's when I get hyped and then kind of, kind of pick them up from there. Because I have a new client, you know, they're, they work in the medical field and they are, you know, people have their own images of themselves, but they went from being able to easily lift uh, from um, lifting a 40 pound kettlebell to lifting a 70 pound kettlebell. And we do, we do deadlifts with the kettlebells and their form is damn near, you know, textbook. So those are the opportunities where I kind of get them from speaking negatively to them, negatively to themselves and about themselves to be like, listen, you weren't able to do this a, a few moments ago. So, and I showed them the videos, like, come on, like, look at you and then, you know, give them, you know, positive reinforcement. Yeah, and I think like being able to use so many tools to to help encourage your clients, but also like continue to promote their success. They often won't do it because they're like oftentimes they're so in the thick of things that it's hard to see the progression that they've made. And being able to use multiple metrics of you bringing the energy during exercise, you uh, just reminding them and kind of talking through, hey, we started here and like now we're up to this level and showing the videos, like those are great resources to be able to use and um, kind of help help show the uh, client exactly the progression that they've made that they might be Yes, and I think where, where we fall short is that um, just in general, like in life, image controls perception. And what one thing I noticed when I like when I listen to Shallow and Killian and, every, and all of you speak about things that you know wish would improve in the fitness industry is that it's really visually and, and aesthetically driven. And people think that's the only aspect of it that matters. So I try to get them to understand that in this type of space, it's more than just a tangible or tangible or visual um, thing that, that you should uh, harp on the most. So think about it, okay, maybe your recovery has improved. Maybe you're moving better. Maybe your energy has improved. Maybe you're lifting more. So it's those type of things that, I, that they have to understand that it's not just all in the numbers, all in the aesthetic. You have to think about progresses that you've moved forward from the point that you were before. Yeah, and you know, with that, it's so true with it being so aesthetically and visually driven, and, and especially like in my experience, that's that hits sometimes a lot harder. So, how do you address kind of negative self talk or like a negative visual image of themselves or like negative bodies with your clients? Try to get ahead of that and not get them in the cycle of just focusing on that. Right. So, I take different approaches with. with um, depending on who, like there's some people who could take jokes, there's some people who can't. So if there's somebody who's talking negatively about themselves, I'm going to like, if they're going to say something negative, I'm going to say something negative too. Then they're going to be like, oh, you're not supposed to say that. Like, okay, so let's start speaking positively. So it's kind of like that reverse psychology aspect. Like, so if you're going to speak negative, I'm going to speak negative until we start to find things that we need to uh, um, find more positively to say so we can create that healthier environment. If it's somebody who... Um, if it's somebody who's like just as excited about being there, I'd be like, okay, um, let's look at the progress pictures. They may not be able to see what they see in the mirror, but I'll have to coach their eye to see the things that are a little bit differently. So um, those are two things that I would do. Or if it's somebody, um, like I just literally, as you asked me that, somebody asked me about how I felt their progress was over time. So this is, you know, a conversation I'm going to have to have. And it's just... Um, 
overall, are the, are you moving better? Have your um have your lifestyle habits improved? Have you began to um um do more? So I have I have one person who all they want to do is come to the gym. Now they're involved in dance classes. Now they're coaching shows. So just looking at their at their life in general, and to try to convince them that it's not just about you know um the physical part and i also use my story as an example you know i'll tell them you know sometimes i have my off days sometimes i may not like how i look but it's let's just create the consistency and just be persistent like progress is progress yeah and and you know like that that relatability i think is another huge aspect of building report because whenever like we're in the space as a trainer like as the experts sometimes like the perception is that everything's perfect with us that you know we don't experience any of these things almost like more than human that like everything's right. right in the world but like remind like having that reminder that like no nah, same thing like i looked in the mirror today like it wasn't great i've been off things a little bit and, um and so it's just like helping to remind them that like you're a person too, and like mm-hmm. you're exactly what they experience. To like not only like help with that relatability, but like help them understand that like, hey, if you're doing it like in being successful, like that's where I like it, like what I want to build to. We almost develop a path for them to like see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, hey, there's a way to do this. Yeah, one hundred percent, and. And I enjoy the part that not only like when coaching other people, you kind of like, it also plays a role in your own individual perspective, you know? And then it, it rolls over into, you know, new people whom you come across who and who you end up coaching and have conversations with and using their stories to motivate. Like, hey, I told somebody your story today and they were, and, and as you said, relatability, right? That you your um, story and your life kind of you know aligns with this person matches with this person and I use you as a motivating uh, you know factor to help this person progress. So things things it's things like that that I would use you know to keep people motivated and keep them engaged. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I did want to ask about because I've noticed that you train both individuals and small groups. Um, with what's your coaching approach? Um, is there a difference between those two or like, how do you, how do you effectively do both one-on-one training and right? So the group training that I do, right. It's only, it's only on Sundays. And the easiest part is that, as we talked about in the last, it's all about the assessment. So I know what everybody, what everybody needs to work on. I come in with a plan. So I'm not just making it up on the spot. So it's, I know where we had to improve. I take the markets and the notes from where they were previously. So the fact that I take these notes and um, I take these notes and kind of annotate through each session, right? It's easier when you have a plan, boom, we just go in and execute. As far as like a larger group setting, Right. It's usually on command where um, individual saying is kind of like a little bit autonomous. I step in where I need to. So I like to create aspects like the past two weeks, um, get everybody to understand why they're doing something. And I and I will use myself an example. So I'll go through the movements and I have them ask as many questions as they can. Right. Record videos, send them the videos and then coach them through the process. So when you see the videos on my Instagram of the whole class. There's also coaching that goes on behind the scenes. There's coaching that goes on in between their rest. So using myself as a, as a visual, using the videos that I record and having them ask as many questions. So it's less talking and more doing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I think like in our industry, that's one of the huge differences between like group fitness and small group training is it's small group training really is from that like personal training approach where it's still focused on progression. It's still focused on assessment where I think like sometimes that's where either trainers have a hard transition of being able to assess a group or like you said, set it in or create a setting where it's on command and in sync. Whereas, you know, a lot of us start so individually that like, that we can just put our sole focus on that one person and like all that time, all that focus goes into. Whereas with a group, like it's a, it's a whole different environment that you're having mm-hmm. to maintain because you can have a spectrum of a level all the way up here to, to the very bottom. And you need to figure out where, like how to best assess those, how to progress them, where to create modifications that, that is going to be best for the individual. Cause I know, like whenever I did small group training, one of the big things um, is I always started being the example, modified example. If people mm-hmm. needed the uh, like regress version, I always started demonstrating that because like everybody in the class wants to do what the instructor does. So if like if I did the medium or the hard level as my demonstration, everybody would start to go to that. Even if I gave like, oh, here's a regression if you want to make it easier or if like you need to be in a better position, all of them regardless would try to do the opposite. I know for myself, I started mimicking restoration just to try to get more buying for the people that needed it. Right. And um, the thing here that I also took like from the prescript community and listening to you, you all speak is the significance of knowing who it is you're working with. And it's, it's difficult, you know, because of time when you're in a larger group setting to really focus on all the um, details, but it's being able to give that general coaching. So if I'm in like a class of 12 or 13, I know who, I know who is who. So I know who to go to. I know who to go to first. So I try not to do exercises. I try not to uh, pick movement patterns or do exercises that I know is going to take more coaching in a larger group setting than if it wasn't in an individual setting. So it's, it's the basic movement. So I don't, it's basic movement. So I don't have to, you know, expend too much time teaching and just let and more time like moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think with that, like it helps add to some of the fluidity of your process of being able to like progress and regress seeing explaining it through movement and not just like this one exercise because you know a lot of times that like our clients won't have an exercise index like we do like they won't have the depth to it they just see it as this one thing but if if it's not in a way of like not just this exercise like hey here's a movement and I talk about this movement the same way like I think just naturally they start to connect the dots and then like in a training session, putting those together, like using them as modifications or like having the progression of like you start facilitating that dot connection um, just by like the way you program or the way that you progress it. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's crazy that you mentioned that because um, I like to kind of plug those in in my individual sessions as well. Like if I would say, okay, if I did like an overhead press, I would ask a client, how do we get this weight overhead? What type of movement? They'll tell me like push, pull or whatever. I was like, okay, we did this. 
we did a vertical pull or a vertical push. What in what direction or muscle haven't we gone into yet? And they will kind of, you know, start to pick up on the exercise and the methodology of how we progress through a session. You know, a vertical pull, horizontal, uh, vertical push, horizontal pull, and things like that. So to get them like plugging those plants and those seeds in, and as we like go into the next the next week, okay, boom, what type of uh, movement are we doing here? What type of what direction? What muscle groups? And then as they start to pick it up, when they're on their off days, and when they ask me what else, what can I do when I'm home? They already have, you know, uh, an inkling of, of how to organize their own workouts. And I think like taking that education approach is hopefully it's becoming like more universal in our industry. But I know for a long time there there was kind of a scarcity approach of like I don't want to teach the client what to do because then they won't need me. Whereas I think I think we've seen by like educating our clients, we become a lot more of a resource. And they become way more invested in their own development, understanding, um, understanding like why we're doing these things and why this is beneficial. But it also, it also helps provide that autonomy because I think that's like by allowing that autonomy, like that, that makes the interaction of creating a program so much funner. Whenever you can go to your client and be like, okay, like we need to do a push exercise. What's your favorite? What do you want to do? And like, now they start picking it. And like, you know, you can lead them down a path of like, hey, here's some options, like which of these do you want to do? And like, start creating that self-investment through self-selection. But it that education phase of getting them to understand why we do this. And like, I, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually started to implement that maybe like over the past couple of months where I'm like, okay, let me go off script a little bit. Okay, what are you feeling like doing today? Especially if it's a client who I spent a lot of time with and they may be off on a day, like, okay, what is it that you feel like doing? What can you do? And then I can build and we can build from there. So give them, you know, that sense of security that they're safe and they have some input on how it is that they can help be guided through it through a session. So definitely that um giving them you know the input to um choose what it is that they want to do it's huge yeah, I, think, I think uh like one of the conversations i listened to was uh cory whenever he was at stanford and he was talking about how he trained his basketball players um and part of that because because of the restrictions of like SNC time with basketball time during the season. I think they had like 20 or 30 minutes for the and it was right before right before um practice. Basically like the workouts kind of became and through that like with the freshmen like it was it was a lot stricter in like here's the exercise we're doing okay a lot more formatted whereas like sophomores juniors seniors you start seeing it open up a little bit of like okay we want to do a single leg movement like here's three options like start picking it and start allowing some of that self-selection so then like it also created just to actually want to do the exercise because they're selecting it and like it's it's the one that they prefer of the three so i know like i know that was something big for me whenever i heard him talking about it of um creating that like autonomy for the client or autonomy for the athlete that it helped with investment and it just helped with education, self-selection, and making them part of the problem. Yeah, um, I that through that 
through a similar process when I was in, when I spent some time at Bowling Green State University, that's kind of how I fell in love and start to develop a rapport with the strength and conditioning coaches, because there was a time where, you know, um, I wasn't traveling. I wasn't one of the travel players. So the underclassmen and people who didn't travel, our workouts would be different. And I was pissed because the upperclassmen and travel players, they pretty much had the easier workouts. But this is when I started to really fall in love was really fall in love with pushing myself beyond my limits, right? And the coaches would bring out of me because if I was dragging in a lift, they would be like, this is not the DJ that I know. So um, building just, um, building that space, building that area where, you know, you draw out, you know, um, what the players want. Like, it's so, it's so, I feel like it's so underrated, but that, that kind of like, it's a it's a positive traumatic experience. Like I've started to have a deeper love with strength and condition at that moment. Yeah. And I I might have to steal that phrase from you. Positive, uh, what was it? A like positive traumatic experience. Yeah. Because I think like um that perfectly describes my uh like JUCO experience training. <laughs> um with like we've talked about it a little bit, but um, to kind of like transition in that since you opened up where it's like you being a former athlete and transitioning into fitness how was that transition for you and like like sometimes it's it's very difficult for athletes to go from like this being what you are and like so long this has kind of defined your life to now becoming like hey I either don't know the direction so was that transition from at, from an athlete and like athletics into like your passion for fitness was that a pretty seamless one or um like how how was that so the easiest alignment from being um being in athletics to being a, a coach was the easiest thing is the alignment is discipline right time management right and understanding um engagement and um implementation the hardest transition was not having such a, a um, uniform thought process, right? Because when you're in a, a, a collegiate environment, it's high intensity at all times. It's go, go, go. So understanding that intensity is not what need, it needs to be intense, but not to that capacity. So the transition and understanding that it doesn't have to be zero to 100 real quick at all times. My love, my approach to my athletics is the same approach that I'm taking into coaching, right? Understanding how to um, diversify my thinking and diversify my styles because everybody's perspective is different. So taking, putting myself in an environment, right? It's kind of being in different offenses, taking what you can from each system and applying it and making it your own. Um, the only difficult transition from athletics to being um, in the um, in, in the coaching centers is a lot more thinking than I had anticipated, right? And um, I was a little skeptical because I, I don't feel like I knew enough, but I um, I wasn't confident on what I knew. So as I go through as I went through the process, I was like. There's a lot of things that I was coached that I needed to unlearn and relearn, right? As far as, you know, um, how to do a squat, how to do a deadlift, how to do a power clean, how to breathe when resting, right? Things that I was coached previously is not how I've been taught over the past year or so, 
right? So unlearning and relearning all the things that I've been taught was kind of, you know, um, kind of where, I, where I'm at right now. And the hardest part was just, it was less about leaving athletics and more about leaving a place where I was comfortable, where the schedule was created for me. Right. So now I'm the one that has to be, you know, in charge of everything and have to do the most thing. That that's where, you know, the biggest part coming from such a structured environment. It's, it's, a, it's a positive and a negative at the same time. Coming from a structured environment where I didn't have to think versus being the structure where I have to do all the thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I completely understand that because it it goes from a setting where like in the structure of it, that it's all on you because beforehand, mm -hmm. like hey, this is like the team schedule. Everybody's going through it. Like there's, it almost takes the thought process out of it. Just like, hey, put the schedule in front of me, put the workout in front of me. Like I'm just running through this. Whereas like that transition to it all being on you. Like I think sometimes we can feel the weight, the weight of it of like, okay, like if I'm off, if I'm not organized, like this impacts everybody else. So, so it is kind of, it is that transition in like make or break or like creating an ownership for yourself because now it's like, now you're kind of leading it that it's not just your schedule, but it's everyone else's schedule that impacts. Yeah, and there's one thing that I learned that I never really um, took into consideration was separating um, the actual sport from the weight room. I felt like while they all tie in, they're kind of like the modalities are separate. Like the sport is a sport. You do sports stuff, the weight room or when you're exercising and stuff, it's stuff to be able to do and exist and maintain the sports stuff. So that's also, you know, a, a ideology that I'm, I'm beginning to grasp a lot because I would try to do it all. But it's not this. I understand how to compartmentalize because there's a space for one thing and there's a space for something else. So that's something also that I had to had to pick up on and learn. Yeah, and I think I I had a kind of a similar trend or like change in mind mindset whenever like I went out of athletics and the weight room became more of a focus and a passion because for the longest time through the majority of my career, like the weight room was just the thing I did to benefit. Like it was what I did to get better at what I did to get better at wrestling. I had to do it because it was part of track. Um, right. You know, I wouldn't say like I enjoyed any of that part, but you know, the, the enjoyable parts were always the like performance-based goal and performance-based in that switch over to like just being left with, with the gym if athletics was gone. Like I think that's where for me my mindset kind of shifted of okay, like this is whenever like I've been in this for you know, almost like it was almost a decade that I've been in the weight room whenever I transitioned out of sports. And so like now well, I've been doing this thing for the whole time, but I didn't really put as much focus to learn in it. And so that like opened a whole new path of like rabbit holes to go down. It's like, okay, like like you were saying, like starting to unlearn things and relearn things through a different perspective. Cause now it was no longer in the pursuit of football. It was in the pursuit of like, okay, how do I get better? Like, what are, what are some of my different goals now that I can approach? Cause I have a lot more freedom and a lot more ownership to my workouts.
You're on mute, bud. I definitely do miss that environment of training for football, though, like that, that competitive nature. So while I'm just here, it's more mental than it is physical now that, you know, I'm, I'm an individual. It's being able to get out of my head and push myself, you know, to that, to that, to that limit. But I have a question, right? Um, where you are now, was this always a trajectory from when you were um, an athlete? Not at all. Um, like, honestly, the, like, kind of my, that transition um, came about whenever I started working at Campus Rec. So, like, my, like, career is in university campus rec and overseeing mm. fitness levels. But that really didn't come about until I started in that field because there was a transition between um, between athletics that whenever I first started going to um, school, I was uh, like poli-sci pre-law major. And so that was the trajectory was like, hey, I guess we're gonna be a lawyer now. Um, so started doing that and, and got a like I was I was looking for a job um, like wanted to work for the university because I lived there and like, it, it be more flexible with my schedule so became the lifeguard like the summer lifeguard at the rec school and then eventually that expanded to being a personal trainer and a group fitness instructor and so whenever I became a like the PT and fitness instructor that's where I was like okay, like, hey, let me, let me look at, like, human health performance, let me, like, add this major, so by adding that major, I started diving a bit deeper into it, where luckily, I was very fortunate with my degree that um, I got a lot of hands-on experience, so I got exposure to, like, corporate wellness, to doing lunch and learns for organizations in the community, um, personal training, group fitness, like building uh, year-long corporate wellness plans, like Solomon, Dimensions Fitness. And like through that, through that um, kind of re-spark that passion of like, instead of just like the physical aspect of it, like started aspect of fitness and education and strength and conditioning. And so I was fortunate enough to in that tree in the HHC program in um, all working at campus rec that I was now getting this theory that we were learning in classes and getting some hands-on work and directly applying that to one work. So as that kind of built, that's that's where I found the focus and where I what brought me into fitness. So there was there was a period gap where like fitness was wasn't gonna be a professional pathway. It's, it was just like a side thing that kept me close to athletics or like kept me close to like an aspect of sports that I had, but it was only until like I started sharing those two of the education and the hands-on experience that I really saw the pathway of like a career. Right. So the fact that you were majoring in uh, political science and pre-law at first, you were probably meant to be like somebody that worked in polit uh, like politics or, or law. So athletics wasn't like, wasn't in there long-term because that was one of the hardest decisions that I had to make as far as, you know, moving, like 
where my life was going was walking away from athletics because that's always what I wanted to do was be a professional athlete. So that's one of the hardest decisions that I've had to make in my life was walking away from football. That's why I asked about like where you wanted, like if this is where you wanted to end up. Yeah, and so whenever you were going through that, like what, what was kind of the like list or like in your head, like how, what helped make, make that determination for you? Cause I know like, with me, like, I knew I, I'm from a town of like 2,000 people. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I knew very, very early on, I was like, hey, like, I can only take this so far. Like, it's like, it's, I'm, I had no dreams of going to the league because, like, it, it wasn't going to be an option. Um, so, for me, like, they, it was always like, hey, I'm passionate about this. Let me just run it as I can. But I know, like, I know it's not gonna like lead to like and so like there was part of that. Um, I know like with my my brother, he uh, he played D two football. That like his his transition out was um, he he tore his pec in a uh, training session, like with mm. the with the football team um, tore his pec and like at that he's like I'm just tired of getting hurt. Like that was kind of his transition out. So for you in like in that hard decision and like making that choice, where was kind of your mindset and where was the things that like ultimately led you to a different path? After I had left, after I had left Bowling Green State University after fall 2012, where I had spent three collegiate seasons there, and then I spent three collegiate seasons in, at the University of New Haven. My first spring semester there. I was, I told, I broke my ankle April 20th, 2013. And then, you know, it was slow to recover. Then I broke my ankle again, um, October 14th, 2014. So then I had surgery, right? So I broke my ankle twice at this new school and it was, it was bound to happen because I had ended hurting it like in a, in a practice because it had never healed. So it had to break again for me to be able to fully you know, uh, performing the season. And the one season that I was able to play from beginning to end, we made it to the conference championship. That's not to say I'm the reason we made it to the conference championship. But, <laughs> but I mean, you played, so you're not, not you're right. the reason that you Right, got you know what I'm saying? So, no, nah, but we had a great team that year. We had a great team. Um, so it was that the same, it was like I was tired of being hurt because I know professional teams don't want to hear about a player who has health issues. And then being the fact that I wasn't able to produce as much throughout my college career, I already knew it was an uphill battle once I left, right? Having to find representation, making sure that my training is going to be up to par so I can perform at the highest level. I w- I'm a late bloomer. I've been a late, but I had a late growth spurt. My, my um, physical development was late. So it was be able to come to recognition while I knew I had it, while I felt like I had the talent, I had to be like, okay, are you going to be able to leverage and find the representation and put yourself in the position to get to where it is that you need to go? Because there's some people who are in the league, right, who are there off leverage. But that's another conversation. So is being able to come to recognize, OK, is this going to pan out? Right. Or are you just going to continue to get older and become less valuable? So being having conversations with you know my my um my teachers that coached me throughout high school like listen you um 
you have skills, you have the abilities to do other things. Look into, you know, trying to make your contribution to society in a different way. So it took that having, you know, conversations and in-depth conversation and real man-to-man conversations, you know, with my father, with the male figures and teachers in my life that listen, um, you got to take that leap. You got to take that sacrifice. So knowing that my my um, path is not going to be as easy. So instead of trying to spend time and, you know, leech off other people, I got to create my own lane. Yeah. And like you, you bring up so many good points. I want to kind of I want to highlight from just that little bit like like one first off the. I think is the most prevalent and stands out to me is like having those figures available in your life can help guide you and like share life experience and just have that available knowledge and perspective that they can provide for you. I think that's that's so like crucial and so essential. And, you know, I, for I think for males, like having positive male figures in your life, it's like it makes such an impact on what the trajectory of your life is going to be. And so just you highlighting that that like you called upon these figures to help provide guidance and kind of kind of help sort through at the time, which what was probably one of the hardest decisions of life. Um, yes, and I have these conversations often with a lot of my, my um, male figures, you know, this, this idea of, of masculinity as though we can't, you know, look outside ourselves, we always have to be the we always have to be the one to be the rock, but I feel like it's okay to have those emotions, to have that doubt, to have these thoughts and be able to find counsel outside of yourself amongst a strong group of people, whether it be men or, men or women, right? I don't think that you should block yourself off learning from anybody you know a six-year-old could teach you something and I say a six-year-old because when I was an elementary school teacher right we do this thing called FMP where you have to give the children a reading test and there was a book about butterflies and you have to read this little blurb on the book before the child reads the book and there was a word that I did not know in that book but this child did and he was a first grader and in a moment and there was a moment where I kind of had to like check my pride I was like I know this kid did not just try to correct me on this word but I'm like wow he taught me how to sit, and it was the word chrysalis, you know, it's another word for cocoon or whatever. So it was the word chrysalis. And just, and it was that moment that I, oh, that I always think back, like you can learn from anywhere. You can hold counsel and take things from where you need to take in order for you to progress yourself, you know, in life. Yeah. And, and, you know, like that, that's such a, like, such a good lesson and like such an amazing example that you can give of, of a sixth grader like telling you a word and you you're just like hold up wait a minute like is yeah. that right you're like yeah that, that's right um but just having that perspective willingness to to learn from anyone and be able to take lessons from any situation i think i think a, like that's such a positive message that people can take away is just being open to that learning experience and being able to like be open to any of the resources that you have available to you. So I think like so many times, especially like with us in fitness, I think we can get so so lost in our focus or um, like so lost in what we're learning about that sometimes it can become black and white or we see in the industry, like people get so set in their corners of like, 
this is the only way to do this and my way is the only way or like my system's the only system where I think like oftentimes it's so lost like it gets lost because like yeah that's one approach but like here's where that approach doesn't work or like you know finding like finding that counterbalance to an answer I think helps provide a larger perspective of being able to be more intentional with the implement with how we implement information or like how we program is like hey, it works for this but it doesn't work here or like it's better if I pair it with this with this individual than pairing it with here but that only like that only comes from you as the individual having a willingness and having an openness to be able to um, be shown those different perspectives or be um, be educated and like a willingness to be wrong that's that's a lot of like I think sometimes people's egos get in the way of their willingness to learn and willingness to like continue to grow yeah I feel like we all have those moments where we can be wrong and strong sometimes especially if the person who's like kind of challenging our perspectives is not bringing enough evidence or enough you know to back up their point to make you challenge your perspective but this is where the pride thing comes in okay let me take heed to what it is that you're trying to tell me i'll do my own due diligence and then we could come back and kind of revisit this subject matter yeah and and you know like i think part of that is getting in like getting in rooms and getting in discussions that that you have that sounding board that can actually challenge your perspective that you're not considered the the expert in every setting like i think that's an amazing thing that we've all built with the prescript community and like through the labs and through the discussions outside of it and like through intensives and everything that it it really is like this sounding board and like this community of shared learning and different experiences that we can all bring into bring into the calls and bring in discussions to like learn from each other that it's not just one person like leading the way but it's it's everybody that like everybody that shows up like hey let's hear from you like ask your questions let's get perspectives like let's feed into little things because i know there's like with the last lab um i forget what like there were a couple times that you jumped in where like my answer kind of went off here and then like you brought it in with like some different perspectives and like different ways to look at it. And I'm like, yeah, like that's perfect. Like it's, you know, there's, it's, it can be such a complex answer that sometimes we lose the complexity of how to answer something. So having multiple people available to like hit on those different perspectives, it's like, it, it's definitely like something different and something I've grown to appreciate uh, that we've, we've all created. Yeah, I tell people all the time, like, especially with certain questions, like, it's simply complicated, you know what I'm saying? Like, it can be simplified, but even it's in its simplicity, it's still complex, because life just itself is so dynamic. And as far as, like, challenging people's, challenging people's perspectives, I love that everybody's resource, the global resource, is always they. But they said, but they but you never know who this day is. And that's always the conversations that you have with people where as far as coming, we're trying to prove a point where you know what they say, well, who is they? And then that's typically where the conversation would end. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, like that, that can get brought up quite a bit in, in our industry of like, well, they said this, so this is the way to do it. Or like this one research study that was like so limited or like so selective, like it showed this thing, but like it, 
you know, sometimes with that, like it's guidelines that we can take and incorporate and like interpret the information, but we also have to run it through a couple different lenses to see how it plays out and like see if it's appropriate for that setting or like with that individual. Yeah, that's definitely one major thing that I've also gotten from the labs um, is learning how to synthesize as far as like studies, like looking at different studies and understanding the demographic that they were using or whatever um, um, whatever lens that they were looking at it through and be able to um, understand and how to take from those two things and put together like your own hypothesis or you know um, thesis or whatever. So that's one major thing I've also taken from the labs. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite things with any of the conferences, seminars, um, different like certifications I've done is always taking a, a cherry pick approach. Like, okay, I'm like, I'm coming to learn and like learn your system or learn your approach, but I know your approach isn't my approach. So I'm going to take the things that resonate that I can incorporate and like best understand just cherry picking from all these like different educators, all these different institutions and like putting it into my system and, and like my approach to things and how I work with clients. But it's, it's a multitude of everything I've learned across all these different, again, educators, all these different like um, programs or workshops or anything. It's just that collection that like I've run through the filter of how I apply or like how I understand and taking that information, like being able to incorporate it. Yeah, I have a question. How did you come up with the name byproduct performance? Because I, I think that's I think that's pretty catchy. Well, I appreciate it. Um, so it kind of it came from a saying. Like apparently, I just enjoy a lot of my sayings and like have like <laughs> so. Uh, so like it came from that where like the tagline to it is, uh, fall in love with the process and, um, results will be a byproduct. Mm. And so like, it, it was kind of reverse engineered that like, however, I forget how that like tagline was even formatted. It was probably just like from myself where like when I made that transition into the focus of fitness, like that, it was really just a, like a pursuit of passion, like going from um, a poly, like poli sci and like having that focus towards law school, transitioning into fitness. It was like, it was me acknowledging, like I'm choosing, like this is potentially a safe path. And I know what that path looks like to choosing a path of like, I don't know exactly what this fitness route is going to be, but I'm passionate about it. And I'll mm -hmm. take I'll take my passion and betting on myself any day over like it's this like safe route that's already created. So like somewhere in that of like following passion and letting that kind of lead the way, I think that that helped um, create my approach to to like my career path and my focus and everything. So passion has always been a leader towards that. And so in the tagline of um, fall in love with the process, like that's really what the passion was for me is like falling in love with fitness, falling in love with the education side of it. And like that's helped me continue through all these years of like still wanting to learn and like getting excited of like getting in a room and like asking questions and having hours long conversations with people about fitness and, and, you know, 
with fitness, but also the understanding of everything that comes into it. Cause, cause I think like fitness is one aspect that opens the doors for us to have the conversation. But oftentimes, you know, we hit on so many other um, aspects of it, of like what our passions are, like, what are we doing in life? Like, how, are, how are we relating these conversations to like improve the other aspects of our life? So yeah, I think really it came about this from like that pursuit of passion and like for myself, falling in love with the process and, and like thinking about that my engagements working with clients through seminars labs workshops like that's what i want to care about. like i'm passionate about this and if you're coming to it like i want that to be projected but also like i want to i want to try to help facilitate your passion i want i want you to get the experience out of this that you want and, um to kind of like feed off those energies we're, we're all here because we have that interest because we have that so let's learn together yeah i'm pretty lusty when it comes to those type of things because like one day every like anatomy like i'm really in love with anatomy then we talking biomechanics and i'm really in love with biomechanics then we talking exercise selection and then like it's just it's just so much and it's never a, it's never freaking enough yeah exactly and like having like getting to be in the room with different people that have different practices like it adds so many different perspectives of how you approach things because like the way a clinician is going to approach training to an snc coach to a trainer to you know a trainer 10 years into it and a trainer 20 years into it like all these different experiences like they're all valid and they all like they all can provide input and information that we can utilize. So while like anatomy never changes, like biomechanics never change, but I think what's so neat about our industry is the way we look at it or the way we approach it, that, that is not so black and white, but it's very, very dynamic and very like flexible, not necessarily in the information itself, but like how that information is applied. The application, man, what is knowledge without it? What is knowledge without it? I have these deep conversations with a colleague of mine all the time. Like it's always good to know, but if you're not putting it to use, like what's the point? Exactly. Like words are it's like a savings account. Action. Yeah, it's like a savings account. It's just like a savings account. Like the money is not doing anything but sitting there. We got to spend, spend, spend. Put exactly. it to use. Yeah, that's why you're building it up, right? Got to spend those mm -hmm. dollars. Um, like a, a point that I wanted to kind of get back to, um, back to the, like with the sports side of it. So taking like from that approach and kind of transitioning into fitness, what are some of, like, do you have big lessons that you've learned or taken away from, um, from that experience in athletics with fitness? Like what are some of the things that you find yourself incorporating? And some of the things that you find yourself not incorporating or that you've adapted. I know like, like we talked a little bit about like uh, positive trauma. Like I think mm -hmm. why that stood yeah. out so much for me because instantly I had flashbacks of like team building days where basically like thought and logic to right. your uh, like S&C kind of goes out the window and it's more so like, hey, let's just mm -hmm. see what you're made of. So like two of the days that stood out for me one was 
um, hundred pound dumbbells in each hand doing races across the weight room. Like they basically <laughs> took the team, divided us in half. And they were like, okay, let's see who finishes first. Like run to the other side, hand the dumbbells off and we're going to do two runs of these. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one. And then um, there was a day where um, they called them man makers, but basically it was a hang clean. Yeah. Yeah, you know, hang clean into a front squat, into yep. a push press, into a back uh -huh. squat. Yep. And so they put us in groups of three and they said, okay, you have a hundred of these. Like as a group, do these for a hundred. And so like you just saw people crumble under this because like it was pre-selected weights based on your position. Yep. And so like, yep. you know, you just like, you just seeing like, I don't think anybody came out of that without like bar scrapes on their neck and without their like thumbs just tore to shit. Mm -hmm. I had a similar experience to that. It was called quarters. But as far as what I've taken from athletics is the idea of um, warm up and warm up and cool downs and stretching. It's not always mandatory. Um, um, one thing that I did that I feel like I should, but I have not taken from um, from athletics is keeping uh, um, having the client keep their own personal log. In like their own their own um exercise sheet you know so they can keep track of the weight that they use and and things like that but if there's one thing that i always that i did carry over from athletics into this space is bringing the intensity like raising the intensity up past the level where you may not have ever experienced you know to kind of introduce you to uh an environment that i um, experience through college. So yes, I will make it a, like a collegiate environment sometimes, but not often. So just to give them an idea of like what it's like and what it feels like to push, you know, past the limit that not is not necessarily, you know, probably the best for you, but just to know what it feels like to push your body to a limit that is not necessarily rational, right? Because I feel like when you're in college, the strength and conditioning coaches don't make up workouts for you to complete. It's just to test your character, just to test your will. How far are you willing to go? And there's, that's one thing that I carry, I've carried over. It's like, how far are you really willing to go before you, you just want to quit? So sometimes I, you know, I would incorporate that sometimes, you know, um, into, into some of my sessions. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, I think that's one thing that, that comes with athletics and like why why I had such a positive experience is you physically and mentally, you get tested a lot. Like there's, there's times in there where like you've made it through difficult practices or workouts. And like throughout that, you had a choice of like, I can quit or I don't have to do that. But those times that you per persevered through like that tested and that developed your character. So I know for me and like just, through like my experience that there was a lot of physical and mental development that comes just from participating in sports and like being part of sports that you get tested and you're able to like build character through those choices. Mm -hmm. And in my group, in my group settings, it's um, kind of that one band, one sound type thing. So if one person fails, like if we're doing a set, we're not stopping until I say time. So there's one, there's maybe like one or two people standing around with two seconds left. And I just keep saying two seconds or one second, one second until everybody's going. 
until I say time. So if nobody pulls up before the finish line, we're all going to go through together. I'm going to say, you you definitely would be that coach that's standing there watching <laughs> the line to make sure every single person touches. That's for damn sure. That's for damn sure. And I was that coach. And I was I did make that mistake, you know, um, when I was a, a football coach at a high school here for a couple of seasons, you know. It's being on the other side where you kind of like have to teeter between being a former player versus now, okay, now I'm the figure of authority. So trying to find that balance between um, being being relatable to the players and still being able to be that authoritative figure to let them know that, okay, this is a team effort. Um, I have to be supporting it to the coaching staff and not to you. Like my loyalty is not to you. So that was one what a difficult thing when I was a, uh, a coach for a couple of seasons. I know, um, I know we're kind of getting to the end of the period. Um, so I just want to be mindful of your time um, and we'll kind of start wrapping it up. So DJ, I appreciate you coming on. Um, do you want to like tell us where people can find you? You want to promote anything, anything that we can blast out for you? Well, I just want people to know that I'm just a aficionado of movement and not just any particular exercise in general. Motivate Crazy 8 Fitness is a, is a brand built, uh, built on uh, destroying and building up a negative and unhealthy and toxic way of life to build up uh, an infinite, uh, infinite passion and um, infinite passion and way to improve yourself. That's what the A stands for, Motivate Crazy 8 Fitness. I just want to give a shout out to all my teachers at Dolos Fitness. You can find Dolos Fitness on all social media platforms at Dolos Fitness. You can find me on Instagram at underscore K-R-A-Z-E-E 8 Fitness underscore. And um, also another one of my colleagues, Tatted Up and Gifted, that's underscore T-A-T-T-E-D underscore U-P underscore Gifted, as it sounds. Right. So those are my colleagues. That's my that's my collective. You can find us in Brooklyn, New York at 5406 Avenue and Dolo's Fitness. So anybody who's interested in improving their lives. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Definitely enjoyed it. Um, we'll have to do this again. Yes, indeed, man. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this opportunity, James. Really, I am. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome back anytime. Yes, sir.